Corinthians 4. And it's kind of fun when you're reading through the Bible and you're just, you know, reading on a Bible reading plan or you're doing the, uh, the pray and chop where you just open at random and read like people do. And you're reading along and you read some scripture that you know is a quoted verse that you see it. You might see it on banners. You might see it on artwork hanging up. And you're like, oh, that's that verse. I, I recognize that. We're going to read one of those today. And uh, this is all in, in the midst. Remember, Paul is kind of defending himself. He's saying all these people come and they talk bad about me. And they have all kinds of letters and they're trying to get money from you. And I don't need letters. You're my letter. I don't need money from you. I'm working for myself. Look, just follow Jesus. Just, you know, he's trying to get this whole thing. So he says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So he's not outright saying these other apostles that have come do these things, <laughs> right? But he's saying, we, here's some things we don't do. We don't wear, wear a $12,000 watch and have a private jet. Not talking bad about anybody that does, but when you boast that you don't do that, you kind of are, right? So when he says we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, he's sort of accusing these other speakers of doing that. And it's kind of bringing into view, okay, what, what does it mean to preach the gospel? What does it mean to be an apostle sent by Jesus to tell people the good news? And sometimes I've had this conversation with guys I've been in Bible studies with, and we just find this really cool stuff and we're digging up Greek words and Hebrew words and we're coming up with this meaning and that meaning. And then we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is all cool. But the gospel is cool all by itself. The fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead and sent his Holy Spirit into us and is coming again. That's all enough. Like, it's exciting to find cool things in the Bible and to, to find this word meaning and find that. And we might do some of that today. But that isn't the best thing about the gospel. The best thing about the gospel is that Jesus saved us. And so he's not practicing cunning. He's not tampering with God's word. He's not trying to manipulate a crowd. He's not trying to, you know, trick people into believing. He's just proclaiming it with a clean conscience in the sight of God. Even if our gospel is veiled. Okay, now we get back more into this veil talk. It's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Okay, so what does that mean? He's talking about God gives us freedom. He gave Adam and Eve freedom. He's given all humans freedom ever since Adam and Eve. And we know from Adam and Eve's example and all the rest of us following how we handle that freedom. We are not predisposed to want to hear what God has to say. We're not predisposed to obey God and to follow God. But then 
when you believe and the Holy Spirit comes into you, your nature is completely changed and you become a different person and you want different things. I have a buddy and we go out for cheeseburgers almost once a week and we went out this week and he went and he got sweet tea and uh, uh, lemonade mixed together. And I said, well, are you not getting a Coke? He said, I don't do Coke anymore. And I said, oh yeah? He's like, it tastes like metal. It tastes like I'm licking a metal file because COVID. So COVID completely changed something about his tongue, something about how he reacts, something about how stuff tastes. And he can't stand to drink Coca-Cola anymore. And he was, he was the guy that we'd go out to lunch and he would pull out of his pocket two cold Cokes. You know, he'd be like ready. He's like, I brought one for you too. And now he has no desire for that. That is a, a dumb and rough example of how the Holy Spirit comes into us and actually changes what we want. Actually changes our desires and transforms us. And my habits might still, you know, I want to steal hubcaps. But wait, okay, wait. Do I really want to? Because the Holy Spirit's in me. I'm holy, righteous, pure in the eyes of God. I, I don't want to steal a hubcap. That's not really who I am anymore. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing. There's things that Christians do that don't look right or don't look like what they actually are to the unbelieving world. Um, there's things that, that we do as Christians, I remember the, the first time a guy asked me something and I said, let me check with my wife. He was like, why you got to check with your wife? Like, are you the boss? Are you not in charge of your house? And in his eyes, I got to check with my wife because my wife is the boss. In my eyes, I have checked with my wife because I'm considerate of my wife's wants and her plans and I don't want to just shove stuff on her right so his eyes were blinded to what was going on and it looked like and it, it's okay that he it looked like weakness on my half because it is weakness right considering others is making yourself weak but it's love it's motivated by love it's not motivated by fear that my wife's gonna beat me up if I do this or that right Sometimes the devil blinds people. Sometimes it's flat out spiritual. Sometimes it's just their sin or their flesh that blinds people. Sometimes it's what they want blinds people. Where people have said, you know, that sounds right to me. But if I believe that, I'll have to do something about it. And I don't want to do anything about it. People usually aren't that honest. <laughs> Sometimes they, that comes out in different ways. So having a conversation this week and this guy was frustrated. He was trying to tell people stuff to get it. And I said, are you trying to make them by get a revelation from you? Or do you want them to have a revelation from God? And he said, I want them to have a revelation from God. It's like, yes, there's stuff that we can learn and we can know and we can f figure out that comes from revelation from God that you're not going to get from somebody telling you. 
And if they're blinded, if they're unbelievers and they're blinded by this world and all the trappings of this world and everything of this world, and we try to tell them something, they might not get it at all, right? So we have to be wise in how we say things to them, how we present things, and how much we want them to get it, right? There was a, um, a Afri in Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, missionaries went in and they are preaching the gospel to people and they get, and they're teaching the Bible and they get to where you, uh, Paul says, you should, in, I think it's in 1 Timothy, every, if you want to be a leader, you need to be the husband of one wife. Well, who doesn't want to be a leader, right? So this tribe uh, practiced having multiple wives. And so all the guys that wanted to be leaders in the church picked the prettiest wife and kicked all the rest out. And all of a sudden, the missionaries had this problem of orphans and widows because you're not going to keep that lady's kids if you're not going to keep her. So you kick all the kids out, too. They wanted to be leaders in the church. Okay, that right there is noble and great, but they were being blinded by how that all works and where the love is and, and how Christ would go about these things. And they were just taking the path. They were being blinded by their own desire to be leaders, right? So I, I love verse five. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. If I'm proclaiming my way of doing things and the way I do things, you tribe of multi-married people, is I have one wife and that's how I lead the church. Then they're going to try to imitate me and they're going to do it my way. One time I was walking around, around outside my house in our old house and I was always barefoot all the time because I just, it was comfortable and I enjoyed it. And one day the neighbor lady, she said, do you not ever wear shoes because of your religion? <laughs> and I was like, what? I said, no, it's just comfortable. I wear shoes to work. I work at a bank. I wear shoes. She's like, oh, okay. I just never see you in shoes. And I thought it was because of your religion. <laughs> Another time I went to New Beginnings. New Beginnings started in a house. And it was run by the, the son of the guy that owns Roger's hair salon. And so you get free haircuts before church. And so we'd all line up outside for our free haircut. And, you know, Derek and Jen are out there cutting people's hair, doing this thing. And the car pulled up of new people. And they thought everybody had to get their head shaved before they came into the church. And so they drove off as fast as they could. We don't preach ourselves. If we try to make... All of the disciples of Jesus, just like us, we're going to be so misunderstood and so messed up, right? I want the Holy Spirit to make you like you filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't even, I don't even want my kids that look like me and act like me to be like me filled with the Holy Spirit. I want them to be like them filled with the Holy Spirit. Because God made you, God made you special and he loves you very much. God made you in a specific way for a specific time so that you would seek after him and that you would show him off to a specific group of people. And you can reach people that I can't and I can reach people that you can't. I'm going to come across people that you'll never come across and you're going to come across people that I'll never come across. 
And so each one of us has to shine that. So we don't proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God has spoken to give the glory of Jesus, to give the glory of God as shown in Jesus to each one of us. When you are driving and you put your visor down because that light, that big sunshine is shining in your face, just think of God has put his glorious light into you to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God has given that to you. And if you think, but I'm a dirtbag, but I do bad things, but I've sinned. I mean, Lord, you don't know what I did this morning. He's writing this to the Corinthians. If he's saying this to the Corinthians, we are all saved. Because <laughs> none of, I mean, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure none of us have topped the Corinthian church as far as sin goes. They're just, wow. So then you have verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So the jars of clay verse is this great thing. and We love the image. There's even a clay jar up here. I'm not going to pick it up. I was like, there's a clay jar up here and I'm preaching about it. The whole deal with the jars of clay is that we are weak. We are not strong. Like the glory of God is not being put in a titanium box and sealed with a vault. And impenetrable. Clay jars leak, they spill, they break. When they break, they very seldom give a little. They usually just bam, and it's a thousand pieces like uh, car glass, you know, just it, it like tempered glass. It just shatters into a zillion pieces. And a lot of times people focus on our weakness when they read this verse. We're jars of clay. We're just weak. We're just earthen pots. We're just earthen vessels. And I don't want you to do that anymore. I don't want to do, I want to break all the pots. Because the point of this verse isn't how weak you are as a pot, but that the glory of God has been put into you. The glory of God. The glory of God that was so big, it was this giant pillar that would cover a couple million people with its shade in the desert. That glory of God. The glory of God that was a pillar of fire that was so bright, it would it, during a new moon, when there's no moon in the sky, it would light the way during the night for a couple million people to walk through the wilderness. We were, we were driving back from Henderson the other night. We were talking about all the, the street lights that they have over like the clover leaf and how they're super bright and they're just like, you can see all this stuff. I would still not want to walk down 41 at night. The Israelites walked through the wilderness where they had never been full of wild animals. Nobody lives there with their kids at night. And it was all lit up by the glory of God that he has put into you. Wow. We have this treasure in jars of clay. All you Corinthian people, you're all so proud. You're all so arrogant. You're all so boasting. 
You're just a bunch of clay buckets. Don't get full of yourselves. Us, I think we need to hear about the glory of God. I really do. This all-surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It's not any, any good thing that happens. Any good thing that I do is from the all-surpassing power of God. And is that bad? No. You do not want Dan Sullivan quality <laughs> from just about anything that you would get from me. You want the all-surpassing power of God quality from just about anything you would get from it, from everything. So, we are afflicted. So he gives this list from verse 8 all the way down to verse 12. And it's kind of the reality of living in this world. And it's rough. We have the glory of God, but we are in fragile pots. And he recognizes that. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. All of this bad stuff is happening to us. But we know that God is sitting on his throne. He is surrounded by these amazing creatures that are all proclaiming how holy he is. And right there by him is Jesus interceding for us on our behalf day and night all the time. Jesus is there and he's like, oh, Dan, he, oh, I did this for him. Remember when I died on the cross, that whole darkness covered the earth thing? That was for him. He's cool. Let's help him more. Oh, that thing, that is not in his nature to do that. He's just out of character right now. I died for that sin. He's constantly interceding for us. So we can always have that hope. Verse 10, we're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Every time we hurt, every time we ache, we can know that God himself came to earth as a man. And we know he had aches and pains because he was a carpenter. And nobody could be a carpenter without having aches and pains, right? That's impossible. He was a manual laborer. He did stuff. He had to rest. There's numerous places in the Gospels where it said, Jesus got alone to rest. He left them there to go rest. He even fell asleep in a boat during a thunderstorm. And you've got to be tired to sleep through something like that, right? We carry around his death so that the life of Jesus will also be manifested. We are carrying around his submission to not blow all those guys off the face of the earth with lightning bolts when they persecuted him. He was dying. We carry around that death so that the life of Jesus can also be manifested. We who are live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. All right, so this is weird. We, Paul, the people who are coming, they're going through shipwrecks. They're, they're running from uh, wild animals on the road. They're, they're escaping from bandits and, and thieves and robbers. 
They are dying. They are giving up their life so that they can make it to Corinth and preach the gospel. They are always giving up their own selves so that other people can get the benefit of the gospel. And Paul's not stopping, right? He's going on. He wants to go on through Spain. He wants to go on. He wants to go up through all of Europe. And um, he wants to go all over the world. He doesn't want to be stopped. He even had, remember we talked about it in Acts, he had malaria. He had all these illnesses. When he first met the Corinthians, he was hardly able to move. And they were, they were basically his doctors and nurses taking care of him. We are always, we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Verse 13, since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. We can have confidence that we will be raised from the dead. We can have confidence that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so we are in Christ. And so just as he was raised from the dead, we can have confidence that we will be raised from the dead in him. Wow. We will all be brought into his presence. It is all for your sake. So as the grace extends to more and more people, it may increase in thanksgiving to the glory of God. That is one of the funnest, funnest expressions that, um, that we see in mission work is... When somebody who has come to Jesus and things have changed in their life, they start to honor a missionary. They start to honor an evangelist. I'm just so glad that guy said what he said. I'm so glad you came to my house because God is working. And then they start to proclaim and testify of these great things that God has done in their life. And it's almost like a baton pass, right? It's almost like passing the torch. The, the evangelist, the missionary, the, the person that's doing the initial talking, they get a little bit of credit. I'm so glad that guy stopped and talked to me because now I see that God cares about me, is, is caring for me, is doing this work. It's all to bring glory to God. It's all to pass the glory that we have, that he's put in us, that he's filled us with, to share it with somebody, and then they give thanksgiving to God. Uh, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light shine before men so that they will see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. So we do good works, not so that we can get an award for our neighborhood, not so that everybody knows our name, but we do good works so that to give these people another chance to worship God. Give them another chance to do that. And they do. So we do not lose heart. Isn't this encouraging? Isn't that encouraging to think, okay, every good thing I do for other people is a pathway to help them worship God. Because I love God so much and I want him to get worshiped so much. I want everything and every person to worship him. And so all these good deeds are going to help people worship him. Yes, that would be great. We don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Because is it exhausting? 
Yes, it is. Does it take a toll? Do your, do your joints hurt? Are you aching? Are you resting because you did all this work for the Lord the day before? Yes. But we do not lose heart. This light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Beyond all comparison. As we look into the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. We look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. But the things that are seen are transient, but the ones that are unseen are eternal. Sometimes we, we, will, we will talk to somebody and um, we'll make friends with them and they do some terrible, stupid thing and they go to jail. And I have a friend and he, he, got, he got chaplain access at the jail so he can go visit the jail like a whole lot. And the, when he goes to visit people at jail, they are so glad that he came. They are so reminded that they are not forgotten. You know, any prison ministry and doing that thing, those guys, they're just like somebody out there remembered us and thought, I mean, even just coming is a huge message, much less the chocolate chip cookies and the message and all that stuff, right? It is beyond all comparison. And you look at the people's outside and you think nothing has changed about them. I have not done any good. All of my preaching, all of my prayers, nothing has changed about that person at all. They still, you know, their house is still run down. They still got a car in the front yard. Uh, they might even still be a, a slave to addiction. But there might be something changing inside of them that's unseen. Something that is really transforming. I got to do a funeral for a guy. And um, when the guy was alive, he said one day, I sinned against the Holy Spirit. So I know I'm going to hell and it's hopeless for me. And I got to explain what that verse meant. That it just means you didn't have faith. So he had faith that Jesus would have died for his sins. But he thought that he committed the sin against the Holy Spirit, whatever that was. And so it was unforgivable. And so even though he believed that Jesus died on the cross for his sins, Jesus didn't die for that one. And I explained to him, the sin against the Holy Spirit is not believing in Jesus. Not believing Jesus did what he did. So if you believe that Jesus did what he did, you have not committed the sin. You might have committed some terrible sins, I don't know. But you're forgiven. And he just cried, and he was just moved. And then a couple years later, I got to his funeral, and I got to tell that story at his funeral. And every... I don't know how many people in that room all thought they had done the same thing. Because everybody was like, oh, wow. Things that are unseen, they're eternal. All right, so we're going to go a few verses into chapter 5. Because it fits with this. This big number 5 was put there, but it doesn't really fit. We know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands eternal in the heavens you have a home a home a mansion all right maybe it's not a mansion you have a place and it can't be found on a map but you have a place prepared for you with god for eternity all who call on the name of the lord will be saved and so you are in christ read ephesians how many times it talks about being in christ in christ in christ 
Where is Christ right now? Seated in the heavenlies, interceding. Right now you are seated with him in the heavenly places, it says in Ephesians. Present tense. So if our earthly tent is destroyed, we know we have a better one to move into. We know we have a better place to go to. Wow. Not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. In this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but we would be further clothed. What is all this talking about? I just want more of God in my life, right? And you're probably in the same spot where something will go on and you'll be like, ah, I just need more of God in my life. And that's what he's talking about. I want to be clothed more. I want to be clothed more with Jesus. I'll have a, an interaction with somebody at work. And I'll leave and I'll be like, I said the wrong thing. I didn't even do the right thing. Jesus, give me that wisdom that you had with the woman at the well that could just talk and just pierce into her heart and say the truth. I don't even know what I was supposed to say there. I want to be clothed with more of you. We are grown. We're being burdened. We want what is mortal to be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. And that verse means you've gotten it. You have been clothed. You have been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee and he's just going to keep clothing you more. He's not going to take any Holy Spirit away from you. People quote that in Psalm 51. Don't let your spirit leave me. That was old covenant. That was under law. That is not how we are now. Holy Spirit is on you as a guarantee. So we're always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Like, what's the reality? It's not we're all going to commit suicide and kill ourselves. Because God's got us here to do things. But... When we die, we are going to step into the fulfillment of the best thing ever and forever. It's the whole Billy Graham quote where he says, uh, the newspaper will say Billy Graham has died and he'll say there's never been anything more, more false. I'll be more alive than I've ever been in my life. Yes. And so if you think that way, all of a sudden you're not afraid of death. You're not afraid of dying. There's no fear in it. I'm, I'm going to grab onto the best thing ever. And so if we're not afraid of death, we're not afraid to go to Azerbaijan, right? We're not afraid to go to Timbuktu. We're not afraid to talk to this person in the grocery line that we're afraid they might hate us if we say the wrong thing. I, I'm, I'm eternal. I want to be with the Lord. Verse 10, this is where I wanted to get today. Chapter 5, verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for he, what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. It just said we're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So this is awesome. This seat that he's talking about, he is using local language to talk about this seat. It's the Bema seat is what they call it. B-E-M-A. And the Bema seat in Roman culture 
is where you would go down to the town hall and they would judge you, which sounds terrible, right? The Bema seat was only a judgment seat of awards. So in the Olympics, if you get in first, second, or third place, you go to the podium. <gasps> the podium. Does anybody ever say, oh, he's going to get on the podium? Oh, I hope he does okay. No, because the podium means you're about ready to get a gold or silver or bronze medal, right? So this judgment seat of Christ, the word he uses here is you're, you're going to the podium. The race is already over. The competition is done. Nobody, Olympians don't try to see who gets on the podium first. They did that in the swimming pool, right? They did that on the ski slope. When they're going to the podium, when you are going to the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil, it is just a reward judgment. All right, we're going to skip around a little bit and then we're going to be done. Matthew, write this down, Matthew 16, 27. Matthew 16, 27 Jesus is talking and he is teaching and he says, Matthew 16, 27. Uh, da, 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 da. The son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of the father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the son of man coming in his kingdom. So he will repay each person according to what he has done. You hear that, and it's in the context of following Jesus and taking up your cross and following him. The angels and God are going to come, in his, the Son of Man is going to come in his glory and repay everyone for what he has done. Okay, interesting. Let's go to Ephesians 6 8. We were in Ephesians a couple times today, weren't we? Ephesians is back behind Galatians. Ephesians 6, 8. So that was Jesus talking. People are going to get repaid for what they've done. Ephesians 6, 8. We know that who, whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Whatever good a person does, he will receive back from the Lord. Hmm. Whether he's a bondservant or free, doesn't matter what level you are. Whatever you do, whatever good you do, you will receive back from the Lord. So if I'm going to this Bema seat where only awards are given out. And if Ephesians says I'm going to receive whatever I did for the Lord, I'm going to receive a reward for it. If Jesus said the angels are going to come in glory to repay for everything, everyone, what they did, good or evil. This judgment seat, each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. It's, it's about awards or nothing. So you say, okay, what if, what if I'm just a wicked, evil dude, but I believe in Jesus, but I do wicked and evil. Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 3, and this is where this goes. 1 Corinthians 3.10, according to, uh, let's see, yep, 3... 12, if anyone builds on the foundation, the foundation of Jesus Christ, 
with gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. Whatever you build your life on, if you follow Jesus, whatever you build on top of following Jesus will become shown and become known in verse 13. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. So if I'm a Christian and I do everything I can to get my $12,000 watch and my private jet and I exploit a whole bunch of people, I'm going to go before that Bema seat and I'm going to be carrying my $12,000 watch in my jet and it's all going to get burned up. If I go there and I visited the poor while they were in prison and I clothed the naked and I, and I fed the hungry, all the things that Jesus says in Matthew 25, and they say, when did we do this, Lord? He said, whenever you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. All of those people are going to be coming with me to the podium. Each one's work will become shown for the day will disclose it. It will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work that anyone has built on that foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. So when we go to the throne of judgment, the Bema seat of judgment, there's no shame there. There's no, oh, Jesus, I sinned. There's no sheep and goats. You're put out. It's just you don't get awards. You don't get awarded. You still get to be with God forever in eternity. And it's awesome. And it's the best thing you could. It's beyond anything you could ever imagine. But don't be afraid and think that because of my bad things, I follow Jesus. But because of all my bad things, I can't make it to the podium. Because you can't. Because he died for all of that. I got a whole bunch of verses on that. I'm not going to read them all. Uh, the best one is Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. All the works that you did of your whole life might be burned up. And might count for nothing. But you will not be condemned. You will survive. And so it's out of that. That we serve others. And we are going to start on 511 next week if you know fully that you're invincible and that to die just leads you on to better things if you know that everything you need is being provided for you if you know that even the works that you do that aren't good are not going to keep you out of heaven they're just going to get burned up and be a waste and gosh that's a bummer i don't want to have i want to have as few of those as possible but I'm not going to walk in fear. I'm going to walk in freedom and I'm going to follow Jesus. And he is going to continually clothe you and clothe you and give you more of himself as you seek that out. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for saving us so irrevocably, so totally. Thank you so much for taking every single one of our sins away. And then even giving us good work to do that we could participate with you in the salvation of the world. I pray that you would do it, Lord. Use us this week. Use us to advance your kingdom and to advance your gospel and to proclaim your great and glorious name. 
You are the Savior of the world, Lord, and we want the world to know about it. Amen.